This week's episode of the Art Tactic Podcast is brought to you by Artbase. Are you managing an art collection or an artist studio or a gallery? Is it time to bring your collection management skills up to a professional level? Well, Artbase is the right software to manage your art business. Artbase allows you to track your artworks and contacts in an easy-to-use, powerful database. Enter your data once, and you can use that data to generate reports, offers, contracts, and so much more. They've got a brand new version out with a whole new look that can be used on the cloud from any location on any device. So what are you waiting for? Go to artbase.com today to learn more and be sure to mention Art Tactic for a 15% discount. Thanks for listening to the Art Tactic podcast. I'm your host, Adam Green. Hope everyone's doing well and staying safe. I've been speaking with a lot of people in the art world over the past week and I know things aren't easy right now. In London, for example, there are lockdowns that are preventing galleries from being open to the public. And even in a place like New York City where there isn't a lockdown, it's so cold outside, it makes socializing very difficult. Despite all of this, there's new art being made all the time. Whether it's being exhibited in person or digitally, it's being seen, which is a great thing. In this week's episode, we chat with Scott Rayburn. He's an art market journalist who frequently writes in the New York Times and the art newspaper. Scott recently wrote a really interesting article on the trend of red chip art. That's a term he coined for the recently made art by younger artists that have appeared at auction selling for staggering amounts. We talked to Scott in detail about this trend, one that everyone has been observing recently. So hope you enjoyed the episode. Thanks so much for joining us. A pleasure. So you coined the term red chip art in your most recent article in the art newspaper, which I thought was really fascinating. And that's, of course, different than the more common known term blue chip art. Explain for us what is red chip art and the corresponding phenomenon associated with them. Well, it's it's something I've noticed, I and a lot of other people noticed uh, over the last year or so um, at auction, seeing young art artists who often haven't had museum shows aren't really fully established fetching what i would term inordinate prices at auction um in december we had we can go back to discuss individual artists but we had matthew wong um who committed suicide in 2019 in his 30s um a self-taught artist who had two gallery shows, one posthumous, and uh, in December, a painting by him, landscape by him, made $4 million. Uh, in the same month, in December, a painting of bathers by the African-American artist Amy Sherald made $4.3 million at auction. Um, now these, when I use the term inordinate, if you look at what their primary market, their gallery prices were, 100 times their gallery prices, which was a huge, huge increase. Um, and back in 2013, 2014, we used to speculative bug balls for young artists. Uh, I suppose the most notable Jacob Casse and Lucian Smith, this is in 2000, 2014. 
But their paintings for me making 300,000, around $300,000, which at the time seemed an enormous amount of money. But now the market for this type of young art seems to have gone to a, an exponential financial level, which strikes me as, as being a very, very interesting development that raises a lot of issues. Yeah, these extraordinary prices are what so many people have been discussing, especially since late last year after the last round of auctions. And I remember speaking with someone who works at one of the auction houses after those sales, and they were telling me that they had some good clients who were very interested in some of the artists up for auction, buy at auction frequently. But leading up to these sales, they said to the specialist, what's the point in even registering to bid? These works are going to sell for astronomical prices, and I'm not willing to pay those. So I really do think you're seeing a lot of people, very serious collectors, who are on the sidelines at auction right now because they know they can't win because they aren't interested in spending these incredible prices that it takes to get these works at auction, especially for these younger, unproven artists that you call red chip art. Absolutely. And back in 2000, 2014, 2013, 2014, there was a sense where the when the where these bubbles developed that they were actually very controlled by insiders within the market. We don't need to name names, and people who know the market will will know the people we're talking about. Um, there was a there was a sense that the price would sort of get out of control, but there was a there was a glass ceiling. It wouldn't go utterly crazy. Um, but now let's leave a word crazy aside, but now the, 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 the sky seems to be the limit. I think one factor in this, and of course it's impossible to quantify, is the Salto Mundi, the, the uh, painting, supposedly by Leonardo, last painting by Leonardo da Vinci on the market. Now that made $450 million in 2017. And that was a price that whichever way you look at if you try and factor in, in inflation and go way back through the history of the art, it was completely unprecedented. And what that price does, I think, it just explodes all sense of, of art historical value linked to commercial price. Um, you know, leave aside the whole controversy, whether it's an autograph work by, by Leonardo da Vinci. It was an absolute outlier, the most extraordinary auction price in history. Um, and that seemed to explode notions of what is good value for a work of art. And I think and that's a broader context, but I think it just changed thinking. Yeah, that's an interesting point. And I don't think there's really been enough focus on how that sale may have had a domino effect on several aspects of the art market. And you also mentioned the last time we had a surge of young artists achieving high prices at auction. They later became known as the zombie formalists. Would you say the red chip phenomenon we're seeing now is similar to some of these past cycles, or are there some very noticeable differences? It feels, it feels very, very different indeed. Um, now, what are the factors that, that I'm sure you'll have some thoughts? What are the factors driving this? Um, you know, social media is, is, I think pretty important um, because the algorithms and the like button push people down the same narrow channels of thought and, and, and everyone's looking at the same thing. So when people buy with their ears, you know, they're, they're just listening to, they're hearing about a very few names. And the comparison with, with older art way back, because the, the other great out outlier price which really sort of nicely bookends uh art mark history 
is the Benoit Madonna by Leonardo da Vinci, sold to the Tsar of Russia for $1.5 million. Now, that, again, was just a complete outlier, mad price that no one had ever seen. Um, but the thing is that back then, you know, the Tsar was competing against the robber barons. And if you if you look at analysis of wealth during the Gilded Age when the robber barons were, were around, they were actually wealthier than the Zuckerbergs and the Bezoses. But what's interesting about that period is that they were buying art across a broad range of periods and categories. You know, they'd spend a fortune on 18th century English portraiture, but they'd be buying medieval manuscripts, 18th century French furniture, tapestries. All this stuff was very, very expensive then. But what seems to be different now is that the wealthy, the globally uh, globally wealthy, just are focusing on contemporary art, young contemporary art, by a few names that crop up again and again on social media. And because of that, because they're buying such a tiny, narrow band of art, the prices become utterly inflated and create the impression, of course, that the the rest of the art market is booming. But it's not. Uh, overall, art market sales have declined in the last couple of years. And and the stuff that was making huge amounts of money during the period of Robert Barron's, like tapestries, tapestries have completely gone out of fashion. So I think the fact that Wealthy people are just buying a tiny proportion of the stuff that the robber barons used to buy is making a difference to the difference in the price. You raised a lot of really good points, and one I want to touch on a little bit further is social media. I think Instagram specifically has become such a powerful visual tool for the art world. There's never been anything like it. In the ability to access images of artwork so quickly following artists via hashtags, following galleries, following collectors, following artists, and it's constantly updating as there are more and more posts. All of that engagement, you could spend 5-10 minutes on it and easily see 100-200 images. And so when you look at the cumulative effect of this, it's made the art community stronger, it's made it more accessible, it's made it easier to engage with, and I think all those are really great things. And I think it's also resulted in a lot more new collectors across several geographies. And as you said, when one of these red chip artists really starts to gain some traction, their art gets posted more on Instagram, and it's much easier for a large portion of this community to take notice, and that leads to potentially even more demand. And this is making things very competitive on the primary market. I think more competitive than maybe it's ever been. And we see the gap between primary and secondary market prices expanding to maybe more than it's ever been, leading to very high prices at auction by these artists who feel so inaccessible to so many people on the primary market, yet they're seeing them every day constantly on Instagram. And also another factor I mentioned in the article is that that I think for many people, um, people have wised up to the fact that that art is a pretty problematic and tricky investment. Um, now that hasn't stopped the wealthy becoming enormously wealthy and income inequality increasing. But I think that there is a mindset out there, and this is just an inference uh, of mine really, and again, it's very difficult to quantify. But um, when people put down $4 million for, for an artist in their 20s or 30s, they're not going to resell it. It's not an investment. They just want to buy it. 
Now, they may want to buy it for their own home and have the bragging rights that go with it, but and they may want to donate it to a museum. But the whole notion of art as an alternative investment for resale becomes really, really problematic at these price levels. It's interesting. When I think about recent prices and how high they've gone up, I like to take a step back sometimes outside of the art world and take a look at other assets and see what's going on there. I mean, look at Bitcoin, right? A year ago, it was at around $8,000, and now it's trading for close to $40,000. And there are other examples of assets where the price has gone up several multiples. So I think the art market is in a similar position, especially with these red chip artists. And I completely understand when you say, okay, buying at these prices can't really be about buying as an investment because prices are just so high right now. But I remember when, okay, if you want to use Matthew Wallen, when his painting started selling for one, one and a half million dollars, and people balked at that and said, oh my gosh, I can't believe these prices. And now only a short time later, they're trading for as high as four million dollars. So I think we, we can't really know completely what to make of current prices until after the fact. It was only in the space of a few months, wasn't it? The, the, the price, there were seven prices over a million last year. Um, and it's it's worth pointing out, although no one cares about this stuff, is that you know the current record for Matthew Wong is is four million, and I can imagine in six months' time it's going to be eight million. Um, the record current auction record for Casper David Friedrich is three million dollars. Yeah. Now, admittedly, with these old masters, these great old master names, it's quite rare for great examples to come on the market. But it's always worth having a sense of perspective, particularly with landscape painting, that Friedrich's at three million and Matthew Wong's at four. I I definitely think that kind of context is important, but I hate to break it to you, Scott, but I think a lot more of our listeners know who Matthew Wong is than Casper David Friedrich. And I think that's just the case because there's just so much interest in contemporary art. Casper David He's a bloody awesome artist. Have a look. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. Exactly. And you pose in your article a sort of existential question, really, about the art market, or at least art as an alternative asset class, and what occurs if only new art by young artists experiences significant rises in value. Is there a feeling that artists who aren't in this red-hot category are being ignored at the moment? Yeah, exactly. This is an important issue. The, the other thing to to make very clear, of course, is with these names is that 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 um, they become fashionable and they fall out of fashion very often, really quite quickly, uh, which is another problem with the whole notion of investment. Um, now, maybe museums will be filled with Matthew Wong's in twenty years' time, uh, but that that may not be the case. We don't know how critically is going to be uh, perceived in 10, 20, 30 or 50 years time. Uh, But so often these fashionable artists can just drop completely out of fact, as happened with Lucian Smith. He's probably the most notorious example from from the last decade. Um, But yes, there are thousands of really good artists, mid-career artists, whose uh, careers are going nowhere um, because they're not hot, they're not cool they're not sexy and in a culture where of course everything revolves around a name and a price and it and of course social media exaggerates this tendency tremendously you know how many people are there out there who just want to take the trouble to look at a work of art by a good mid-career artist and say i really like that i want to live with it i think this number is really dwindling and it's very difficult for them to get heard on social media as well because it's very difficult for them to generate noise 
That's definitely true. And there's also the fact that young artists are initially so affordable when they have that first and second show at a gallery. They could be five, ten, fifteen thousand dollars. It's it's really relatively not a lot of money for collectors. And so any artist who shows potential or gets some kind of traction or buzz, the demand for the work is gonna be amplified because it's deemed relatively inexpensive. And on the other hand, mid career artists, well, they're likely gonna be more expensive as their primary prices have risen over multiple decades. And and that's true whether they've had success on the auction block or not. The galleries lose interest in promoting them and marketing them. And they're just sort of left on, very often left on the shelf. And it's it's a difficult situation. Um, but I think that the, this, the phenomenon of red chip art is going to highlight the whole issue of is art actually a good financial investment? Because um, there's so much publicity, so much energy focused on these red chip names. And it's very difficult to see how anyone can back those as a, a, a lucrative long-term investment at the price levels that they're selling for. Um, and then you, leave, you have the mass of, of works by mid-career artists, which are sort of going nowhere. And then when we go back to the blue chip, and this is the really concerning thing for the mythology of arts and alternative investment, you have works by Lucio Fontana, Andy Warhol, the great sort of classic blue chip names. And when you drill into how they perform at auction compared to previous on previous occasions when they cut for sale. Very often they're making less money. And this is this is really tricky. And I remember the last correction we had about six or seven years ago, a lot of younger artist markets really declined and there really was a correction in the market. It almost felt like a collective epiphany. I really vividly recall this and remember people started to shift their focus back to artists like Calder, Warhol, Kusama, and thinking, oh yeah, they've been here this entire time. These artists already written in art history and monumentally important. Perhaps it will take that kind of correction again, but we'll see. So much of this is dependent on a continual conveyor belt of very, very wealthy people wanting to spend huge amounts of of money on art. And, you know, has been pointed, it's not just me pointing this out, as it's been noted, the the people who are making enormous amounts of money now, very often they're just not interested in art. It just doesn't really interest them. Um, You know, the robber barons, there was a different psychology there. Um, and, And as was pointed out to me by a dealer, very very perceptively, the robber barons made their money out of physical things, out of railways and and coal and iron and so on. And when they wanted to display their wealth and feel as generate a sense of self-worth, they did it with museums and physical objects like art and sculpture and so on. Of course, when you've made billions on a telephone, you don't need to do that. You don't feel that same compulsion. And I think that that, that was a very interesting perception, I thought. Yeah, and that's what you touched on in your article about will the tech community, where so much wealth is being concentrated, get involved in the art world at a certain point to a much greater extent than they are now? It's also speculation. And, you know, I'm not, I'm not to speaking to Silicon Valley moguls. Um, I suppose you could turn it slightly on its head, though, and go back to Instagram. Now, I know Instagram is owned by Facebook and there are issues with this and so on. But on the other hand, Instagram particularly recently, has proved a tremendous force for democratization of the art economy, particularly with um, the initiative Artist Support Pledge and hundreds, thousands of artists selling their work directly 
publicly on Instagram. And that's been a terrific thing, I think. And it's allowed just ordinary people to look at art, appreciate art and buy it. And that's that's that, that's been a tremendously positive thing. Whether the great tech barons are going to turn into Carnegie's or Frick's and buy great art and then more equally importantly, donate it so that the public can actually see it as well. You know, that obviously remains to be seen. And speaking of things that remain to be seen, to kind of wrap things up, from your conversations with dealers and insiders, is there a growing consensus as to how sustainable the red chip art phenomenon is and really where things might be in a year or two from now? Certainly in the short term, what I'm sensing is, and from what I, you know, from the conversations I have with people, is that this dynamic will continue. But of course, the names just change. And um, they, as, a, as we go on, they, the cycle accelerates and the time span of, of success often will contract. But we'll see. But the, the dynamic of red, red Chip, of these hot young names, just, I think, will continue. But then the names change. Um, and it's interesting, I, you know, what, what, what is driving this? Because we haven't the faintest idea, well, I certainly haven't, who is buying this stuff at auction. It's, it's virtually impossible to find this stuff out now. But I suspect China's a huge element in this. And uh, in a rather different way, though, because the auction house is talking more and more about millennials doing more and more buying uh, from, from Asia. And of course, another factor is uh, African-American collectors, wealthy people with, who have made fortunes in sport and music and so on. And we, I think we have different drivers here uh, pushing up prices that are rather different from back in 2000, 2014, when the insiders were controlling the market really very effectively. Uh, it's now about very wealthy outsiders driving up our prices. And I can see, because income inequality, particularly through COVID, is going to increase. I think this dynamic will just continue. I think that's a really good point you made about what distinguishes this from previous cycles, the outsiders versus the insiders. I think it's going to be fascinating to see how this red chip trend continues. We'll certainly be following it closely. And it's really what everyone's talking about in the market right now. Scott, thanks so much for coming on the podcast and chatting with us about this trend. And for our listeners who haven't read Scott's article on Red Chip Art, we recommend you check it out at the Art Newspaper, as well as his other articles in the New York Times and the Art Newspaper. Scott, thanks so much for coming on. We always enjoy chatting with you. Thanks so much, Adam. Thanks so much to Artbase for sponsoring this week's episode of the podcast. Are you managing an art collection, an artist studio, or gallery? Is it time to bring your collection management skills up to a professional level? Well, Artbase is the right software to manage your art business. Artbase lets you track your artworks and contacts in an easy-to-use, powerful database. Enter your data just once and use that data to generate reports, offers, contracts, and much more. They've got a brand new version out with a whole new look that can be used on the cloud from any location on any device. So what are you waiting for? Go to artbase.com, that's A-R-T-B-A-S-E.com to learn more, and be sure to mention Art Tactic for a 15% discount.